It is the Ides of March, March 15th here on a Tuesday in the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada, Mark Schofield here, and we uh, continue with our draft coverage as we are now, I believe, only about seven weeks out from the NFL draft, which is shocking to believe uh, that the offseason has already gone that quickly. But Mark, you wanted to uh, talk to us to l- a little bit today about a... Uh, a passing tandem, or rather, a, uh, I guess a passer and a pass catcher uh, that had done some pretty impressive things in college. And I think there's some questions about the passer in terms of where he fits in the NFL. But you wrote an article about this, and it makes sense to uh, chat about it a little bit. Et tu, Brute? <sighs> I had to at least drop that in yeah, there. It you, is you, the Ides of March, after all. You, you I did. should have said Et tu, Zada, but <laughs> I misfired on that one. Yeah, um... There's a piece up on InsideThePylon.com right now that I'd love our listeners to uh, to check out. I was finalizing my work on Trevon Boykin, the uh, TCU quarterback. I had watched um, three or four of his games dating back a couple of seasons now and a couple into this year, but I was doing my final work on him. And I kept noticing that I am team handwritten notes, and I kept writing down, oh, great timing with the receiver on this play, great timing with the receiver on this play. The receiver and the passer seemed to be like synced up almost to the point where the Boykin would be starting his throw in motion as the receivers would hit that last plant step on their vertical stem, whether they were going to cut left or right. I mean, it's that synced up, that precise. And I started going back through because I'm not really paying attention as I'm watching these quarterbacks, like who they're throwing to. I mean, I'm not doing wide receiver work this year, and so I'm not really looking at it. Turns out on most of these times, once I really started noticing it time and time again, I went back and it was Josh Doxson, who many people believe might be, if not the top wide receiver in this class, you know, near the top. So I went back and revisited my notes, revisited some plays, and, you know, dating back to last year, now this year, these two players were so in sync on so many different routes, whether it's out routes, predominantly out routes. Um, you know, I found examples of them um, on a skinny post route where it's the same thing. Doxon making his plant step and you can see the ball, the throw in motion is starting. The ball is starting to come out. He's got the throw in motion started. Even on fade routes um, where not only is there timing where it's synced up, but there's trust. Uh, in the article, there's a fade route against, I believe, West Virginia where it's a red zone fade, um, which is a route that Boykin throws extremely well. I already have an article in the On2 series about Boykin throwing the goal line red zone fade route. And you can see at the moment Boykin starts throwing, he's made up his mind to throw the ball. The press corner has his right arm on Doxon's shoulder. He's right up in the guy's face. This guy is covered. But Boykin knows and he trusts that Doxon's going to get open, that he's going to get off this guy somehow. So he takes a shot and, of course, Doxon does exactly what Boykin expects him to do, gets off the press corner, runs under the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. So uh, after seeing this play out so many times, I felt that I had to at least write about it. It's one of those things where you're watching film and something just basically smacks you in the face and says, hey, you better write about this idiot because somebody else is going to do it. I want to talk to you about that that red zone fade throw, actually, because – and I, I want to talk to you about what the quarterback is thinking as he throws that ball. Just because, from my perspective, and again, this is how I look at things, being someone who plays the game of football with his legs rather than his arms, is it seems to me like you're almost trying to pick out kind of this 3D point in space where it's you're, you're targeting, you want the ball to be this high and this deep and this far you know, left to right. And it seems to me you're just trying to hang it up there in that one perfect spot 
And the receiver and quarterback need to be in sync to know exactly where that spot is and for the receiver to get there. Is that is that am I wrong in that? I mean, it, the, the red zone fade and the goal line fade, I mean, they're almost two different throws because, you know, if you've got a little bit more room, like in the example I cite in this most recent article, you can put some touch under it, let the guy try to run under it. When you're talking that goal line fade type play where you're, you know, inside the five yard line, that's an even tougher throw because you've almost got three defenders you're thrown against. You've got the, the press corner himself where you're trying to get the ball over. But then you've got the back line and the sideline. So you're trying to drop it into that almost sort of, you know, it's like not a, a bucket triangle, almost. But a bucket basically in that back corner where you get it over the cornerback, but you keep it in bounds. And it just, you're not trying to make the perfect throw, but you really just want to let your guy have a shot at it. And you've got to get it out quickly, but just make sure your guy has a shot at it. And another example of that, um, I had the chance to do one of the RSP film ones with good friend Matt Waldman friend of uh, ITP, and we were looking at Vad Lee, the JMU quarterback, and we got a chance to look at one of those plays from Vad Lee, and you see him, takes the shotgun snap, doesn't even grab the laces because it's just one of those, you know, get it and get it out. It's almost like a second baseman trying to turn a double play. It's just get it and get it out. But you got to make sure that you don't throw it out of bounds, you don't throw it out of the end zone, you don't underthrow because then you're basically throwing it right to the cornerback. So, it's a tough throw to make, but you've got to trust that your guy's going to get to the ball. And that's something that Doxson and Boykin were on the same page nearly every time they ran that play. When you look at that relationship and how that develops, is that just through repetition, through doing this over and over in practice and, and you know being able to just read you know as, as the quarterback, know exactly when that break is going to be made and as a receiver, just trust that the quarterback's going to put the ball where it needs to be? Yeah, I mean, from the quarterback's perspective, it's repetition and it's seeing the guy win for you multiple times, especially in a game situation. So you know that you're not afraid to you come back to that sort of red zone fade with Boykin sees the cornerback draped all over Doxon, but yet he's has no fear in letting that ball go because he knows that Doxon's won for him before. He's going to win for him again. So even though it looks like this guy is completely covered at the moment, he's really not because you trust that your receiver is going to get off that cornerback. You're going to get to that five-yard depth where the defender's going to have to pull his hands away, and that's when your guy's going to win for you. Where do you see when, when you looked at the, uh, the, the plays that you saw between these two? Was it on only certain routes that you saw this type of chemistry or was it pretty much anything they were running in the route tree? I mean, it was anything that they were running in the route tree. Again, with TCU's offense, there were a lot of outs, comebacks, curls, screens, go routes, some skinny posts and stuff like that mixed in. I mean, you know, I would definitely, and I mentioned this on Twitter at the time I was doing this article because I noticed, I kept noticing that Doxon was lined up seemed to be lined up on the right side a lot. So I was wondering, how often does he line up on the right? Is he primarily a right receiver that lines up on the right? And of course, found Reception Perception by Matt Harmon from NFL.com, which I, if you haven't checked that out, check it out. He charts every single prospect where they line up, the routes that they run and stuff like that. Um, had it had that work done for me. It was 96% of the time the Dawson lines up on the right. So Really? Yeah. And that wasn't even the highest in this class. There were some other two other guys, and I forget who they are. I could probably pull it up, but who lined up on you know one side or the other almost ninety nine percent of the time. Because if you think about it, these up tempo offenses, 
Yeah. If you go in no huddle, you just stay on your side of the field. Yeah, you're not going to add additional distance for your player. No, you for just, your players I mean, especially to run. like Baylor. I mean, those guys would line up on the same side, and if they weren't involved in the route structure, would just pretty much hang out. Is is that potentially a negative for someone like Doxon? If I mean, is it just obviously you know you can certainly it's not like a Zoolander situation where you can't turn left or can't turn right. I know, but is it a case where? He just has to develop the comfort on the other side of the field in the NFL offense then? Yeah, there will have to be a little bit of a learning curve there because if you're used to running the post route where it's, you know, drive off vertically, jab step to the right, and then cut to the left, if that's your post route that you've been running pretty much every game, every practice for the last three years, now you're suddenly lined up on the left and the post route's a little different. And it also seems just trying to, you know, if you're looking at uh, trying to beat zone coverage or something like that, just developing the feel for where defenders are when you're on the other side of the field, that's something that would seem to make sense uh, as something you'd have to pick up as well. Yeah, and there's going to be an adjustment for every player that tries to move to the next level, which is why I even dropped on Twitter, like, look, if you're the NFL team that drafts Dawson, take a flyer on Boykin later rounds. Yeah, you know, yeah. Somebody that he's familiar with. And not that that will probably happen. I mean, again, there's all this talk about moving Boyk into wide receiver, which is absurd in my mind because he's earned the shot to play QB in the NFL. Or at least, remember, we had Bill Carroll on back in during the season. It might have been in October. And he yep. put it so greatly. He just said he's earned the shot to prove that he can't do it. He's earned that right. Right. And it, you look at it. Look, if worst case, you give the guy a year or two and he can't do it, fine. You move him at that point. But, you know, with... With what you see being spent on middling NFL quarterbacks, don't you owe it to yourself? Look, just draft the guy and give him a shot at least. Worst case, you move him to wide receiver down the road. Best case, you've got a guy that you can pay a million dollars to be a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and in watching Boykin again over the past couple of days now, he he's an athletic guy, and I know he came into TCU as at a, as a wide receiver, but I mean, he ran four four seven, I think, at the combine. He's not somebody that's like straight line quick. He's got you know quickish feet, good change of direction, good vision as a ball carrier. But he makes some throws that you kind of say, "Wow!" I mean, the goal line fade, the red zone fade. They're they're very nice. The he makes those throws very well. He made a throw against West Virginia, challenging a throwing window on a skinny post route that I haven't seen too many other quarterbacks in this class take the risk. You know, it was right between three defenders, and he's another guy that can really drop the arm angle at times. Like when he throws smoke routes or tunnel screens to the right or to the left, it's like Pedroia turning the double play where it's sidearm. He takes the shotgun snap and doesn't even bring the ball up. He just gets it and gets it out. So it's a guy that in that system that they've run down in TCU, extremely familiar with it. Great at keeping his eyes downfield when the pocket breaks down and he's got to scramble and buy time. Doesn't drop his eyes to feel the rush. So, again, I think he's a guy like Vad Lee, like some like Dalwin Williams, that they might be athletic and you think, oh, let's move them, give them a shot, play another position. No, they've earned the right to be in a camp and prove to you that they can either play quarterback or they can't. What uh what types of situations did you see him struggling? You know, what what what's kind of his kryptonite at this point? Well, Progression reads, I mean, he wasn't challenged with, you know, making full field type reads. There were a lot of the new wave progression read structure that we see a lot of these spread style offenses where the progression read is snap, put the ball in the belly, 
read, you know, the linebacker and either give the ball, keep the ball, or make a, you know, throw to the slant route over the top of the linebacker. Yep. So he's making progression reads, but it's not the, you know, read the coverage, check the backside safety. They're rolling cover two. Okay, you're going high, low over the cornerback on the splash concept, or you're going backside to a curl flat concept. You're not going full field structure like that. And given the up-tempo kind of offense that they were running, they were seeing a lot of cover three, matching cover three type of schemes. So, you know, it will be an adjustment period for him to get into an offense that's going to make him go full field, read five progressions, and get the ball to a check down. There were a lot of one-read type throws where it's you're throwing the out route, the other two receivers and the trips are blocking off the snap, and that's just what you're doing with the football. So that that will be one thing. And accuracy, even though he makes some nicely placed throws, on sort of some deeper routes, some comeback routes, even if the timing was there, the throws weren't. Here's a question for you, and we talked earlier this week about how due to the amount of 11 personnel that's out there, you're seeing a lot of teams uh, utilizing a lot more nickel at this point. And my question is, with that being the case, with teams being in a 4-2-5 or something along those lines, a 3-3-5, either one of those more often than not now, is that a situation that increases the complexity of a defense that has to be right or decreases it? Or you're just running this, or it's no change at all. I mean, it increases the complexity a little bit, I think. And this is purely like, you know, off the cuff type of response. But if you've got five defensive backs now, okay, you've got three guys that can drop back and play. You know, if you've got maybe more than three guys. Maybe all five guys can drop back and play deep zone coverage. Maybe all five can play man. So there's different ways. There's more, more ways you can possibly rotate the secondary than if you've just got two corners and two safeties back there. So now you've got... You know, you've got your keys. You've got, okay, this is the guy that typically lines up at free safety. Identify what he's doing. So that doesn't change, but there's more things that he could possibly do. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So no. I think it's a little bit more complex, but then, you know, it's it's not so much, you're not so much worried about linebackers blitzing off the edges. It's not like we're, you're seeing like a, you know, three, four defense and you're so, traveling trying to identify where all four linebackers are. Sure, sure. Okay. So it's a little different, but I mean again, that's just me. I you know, I wasn't a great quarterback, so you know <laughs> I simple didn't things see. gave you trouble. Simple things gave me trouble. And I, I do believe we have a show coming up and I'll share some of those stories with the with the fine listeners of the Inside the Pylon podcast about some of those. Yeah, we'll be talking about some of those I think uh pretty shortly here. How far along are you oh, blah, blah, how far along are you in your um in your work on Boykin at this point, have you pretty much wrapped it up? Or do you I've still pretty much little- wrapped it up. I mean, I'm pretty close to being done on everybody. I'm kind of doing some like quality checks, some cross checking on my own work. Um, you know, we're getting closer to the draft, and I'll be you know unveiling my top 25 or so quarterbacks, which sounds pretty insane, but you know that's that's the business that we're in, Chuck. That is we are the a quarterback industry. In. Oh, I don't know about that. I do not know about that. How, uh, you know, in terms of Boykin, and I don't want to spoil the thunder, can you give me a general range of where you're thinking he's going to fall now? Maybe a little tease for the specifics coming later. He'll probably be top 10, but closer to 10 than 1. Okay. Okay, so somewhere in that ballpark. Um, How much do you think in, in terms of... And obviously, look, you can't separate that relationship between quarterback and receiver. How much do you think he benefited from having a guy like Doxon? For example, if you had a lesser receiver, would you still be considering him in that range? 
I think so. I mean, you got to kind of separate Boykin's traits at the quarterback position between the success that he had with Dawson or Listenby or any of the other receivers that he had. Remember, you know, it's the Hatman Miller rule: scout the traits, not the scheme. Yep. So when you look, I'm really more focusing on when I look at Boykin or any other quarterback, what he does. You know, in the pre-snap phase, through the time the ball arrives at the receiver's hands, because if he does everything right and throws a great pass and it's dropped, well, I still think that's a really good grade on the quarterback. You know, if he does everything horribly, but Doxon bails him out, yeah, it looks great in the scouting report or in the box score, but I still kind of have a negative mark on the player for that grade. So, you know, the success that they had. It looks great, and it's. A gr- I think it, the article came out well, and it's a nice example. And you know, it's similar to the one I did on Amari Cooper and you know Carr and the relationship that they're building out in Oakland. But it doesn't really impact so much my thoughts on Boykin, the quarterback. Very good. Anything else that you want to add? We've got about one or two minutes left. Any final thoughts on uh, either one of those players before we take off for the day? Um, I think you know it's just another chance to reiterate as you know Matt Walton and I kind of jokingly refer to ourselves as the mother hens of this quarterback class i mean i know there are people that are like oh man this quarterback class just isn't very good well it's not top heavy there aren't surefire stars but as i've said it before and i'll say it again there's some depth to this there's some interesting names at the back of this class boykin being one of them that should get drafted should be in a camp and there are guys that you know, we'll be around. I mean, we just saw Colt McCoy re-sign a three-year deal for Washington. I mean, there are, I think, potential multiple Colt McCoy types in this class that are guys that are going to kick around in the league for a while and be spot starters. And perhaps if the fit is right and the landing spot is right and the transition is handled in the best way possible, could flourish into something beyond that. Outstanding. Well, I think that uh, that should pretty much wrap us up for the day then. Yeah, you know, we nice little show. We had a kicker Monday, and now kicker receive. I mean, quarterback receiver Tuesday. But buckle up, folks, because this Wednesday show, Wednesday show, is going to be something fun. I think. Yeah, tomorrow what we've got, and uh, we figure this is probably one of the best times of the year to do this. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about the worst personal experiences that Mark and I had on the football field. What were the lowest of the lows for us? And let me tell you, we could definitely do more than a 20-minute show, but we're going to try to cap it somewhere in that range just so that uh, you know we don't get too depressed talking about this. That is going to be coming up tomorrow. Until then, make sure you check us out at InsideThePylon.com. Make sure you buy your copy of 17 Drives if you haven't to this point. Uh, we have now sold uh, well over 100 copies at this point, so if you don't have yours, you're kind of missing out. Check it out. We'll see you tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>